Hello, and welcome to Right Brain Rounds with Dr. Karina Muller. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and as always, thank you for listening. Welcome to Right Brain Rounds, and today I have Dr. Mary Donna Ravazio with us. She is a board-certified OBGYN, and I wanted to invite her here because she's so inspirational and has always been a mentor to me in my career. And so welcome, Dr. Ravazio. Oh, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your journey in medicine and how you became an OBGYN and what led you to make that decision in your life and who inspired you. So if you can just set your path. Sure. Well, um, it all started, my schooling actually all all started when I graduated um, in 85 and I received a congressional appointment um, to the United States Merchant Marine Academy. Um, I received that appointment from um, Representative John Murtha in Pennsylvania. And um, I attended the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy for four years, graduating in 1989 with a bachelor's degree. Um, at that time, I was the only woman to graduate with a dual major, actually. And uh, that dual major was in marine engineering and marine transportation. Uh, which they don't have anymore, but um, at the time it was it was a difficult uh, course load to take, but um, it was a dual major, and I was very happy to be able to do that during my four years while I was at the academy. Um, so I did work as an engineer uh, for two years in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, I worked for TRW, which uh, is a defense contractor in the Beltway there, and did that for a couple of years. Um, I then, in 1991, during Operation Desert Storm, I took a leave of absence from that job and went out on my uh, U.S. Coast Guard license. I graduated with two U.S. Coast Guard licenses. One was in marine engineering as a third engineer on merchant ships, and the other one was as a third mate on merchant ships. Um, But I used the third engineer's license and um, worked uh, in support of Desert Storm on ready reserve fleet ships. So I did that for a little while and um, took the time off. When I did have some time off, when I was off of the ships, I decided that um, I wanted to pursue what I'd always wanted to do, and that was to get into medicine. Uh, So I uh, started going to the University of Pittsburgh at Johnstown. My mother was kind enough to let me kind of uh, <laughs> uh, house myself in her in her house in Johnstown, and so I got a second bachelor's degree um, at University of Pittsburgh, and that was majoring in biology with a minor in chem. Um, so once I finished that, I decided, well, I, I need to try and get into medical school because it's something I'd actually wanted to do since I was in seventh or eighth grade. So uh, I applied and I got into Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine, which was in its only second year at the main campus uh, and started there in 1994. Um, I graduated in, in 1998 
and became a DO, which I'm very proud of. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was an interesting time. I mean, I, I'm, I have no regrets. I'm so glad I did it. Um, I, I could do engineering, but I, it, my heart wasn't 100% in it. Uh, I wanted to be a, uh, a physician, like I said, from a very young age and just took a different route. Um, part of that was financial. Um, at the time I, you know, the scholarship to the U S merchant Marine Academy, it was a full paid scholarship. It was something that, uh, you know, you just, when you don't come from a very affluent family, um, you take that opportunity and run with it. And that's what I did. Um, I can only imagine how many leadership opportunities you had, you know, going that route. You know, I think that's very important in medicine and especially for females in medicine to have a background where they are known leaders and they can apply that to their medical training and, you know, also in their care of their patients, you know, showing them, leading them, um, interacting with them and having great, you know, rapports with their patients. So, um, you know, I think that coming from a non-traditional background where, you know, you were an engineer first and had that experience, um, you know, I just really feel like it does have, you know, some pertinence to medicine, you know, as far as the leadership qualities. Oh, thank you. I agree. I, at the time when I was an engineer, our customer or our client was, of course, the U.S. government. It was actually uh, the Navy. And so I learned at the age of 22 how to work with our client or our customer and um, to develop those skills, as you said. And so when I started medical school, I was, I was a non-traditional student. I did have that work experience, which did help with my career as an OBGYN. Absolutely. Exactly. And I know that we met when I was a medical student and you were a resident in the residency program that we both graduated from OBGYN residency program. Yes. You know, I, I always do see you as a leader in medicine and especially within um, some of the organizations that we're both a part of um, American college of osteopathic obstetricians and gynecologists is one of them. And I've always found it very fascinating, the roles that you have played in that organization and you know what it's leading up to. And if you could talk a little bit about that, especially the historian um, part of that organization and how um, you contribute? Oh, sure. Well, um, maybe I can start with um, back which you alluded to when, whenever we met. So uh, as part of my physician journey, I, after medical school, I, I uh, became a resident at York Memorial Hospital um, under the tutelage of Dr. Anthony Piccolo as a residency director, um, where we both uh, achieved our OBGYN residency graduation. Um, from there, I went into the Army for four years because I had the Health Profession Scholarship Program. And um, I, I was very much involved. Um, I became involved with ACOOG, or the American College of Osteopathic OBGYNs, um, 
during our residency, uh, Dr. Piccolo was a big advocate of um, being involved with the college. He would say over and over again, you've got to stay involved with the college. You've got to communicate with the college. And we did. Uh, we were very active as resident reporters, um, taking part in the uh, Ortho McNeil resident research that was offered to us at the time. Um, and that continued. Uh, when I was in the Army, I would continue going to the ACU conferences. Um, and towards the end of my time in the Army, which would have been, oh, 2006, 2007, I, 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 um, I met Dr. Patty Arnett, who around that time was uh, the ACU president. And she actually um, was part of the practice that I, that I joined in 2007, making sure I get my years correct. Um, and of course, you know, I was right there <laughs> at her beck and call and she said, hey, you need to get involved with ACUG's membership and promotions committee. And so uh, at that time I became part of the committee and I was appointed to that committee and that's where it all started as far as ACUG was concerned. Um, I was on the committee for a few years and then eventually became the chair uh, of the membership and promotions committee. And I, I was the chair for several years actually. And I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed being um, part of the discussions on bringing members into the college and their uh, different um, paths as members in our college. Um, Shortly thereafter, I, I got to be on the Historian and Traditions Committee, and I, I was on that committee for a few years as I became a Distinguished Fellow. And then once I became a Distinguished Fellow within ACUG, um, I became the chair of the committee after uh, Dr. Richard Polk was finished being the chair. Uh, and he was a wonderful leader, wonderful teacher for me. So that was, that was my committee work. I did have some uh, work on the... Uh, the ad hoc legacy committee uh, and another, but um, involvement in the college is really important in order to move forward in leadership positions. So. Exactly. And um, at some point in time, I know that uh, you're, you're currently the vice president. Is that correct? Uh, as of our last board of trustees meeting, which we did because of the pandemic now, mm -hmm via Zoom, um, our new president uh, took his oath, uh, Dr. Patrick Woodman, and um, so at that time then I became the president-elect, so I'm, I'm now the president-elect of ACU. And I'm so excited to see um, both what Dr. Woodman will do this year, but also what you will do in the future and do you have any plans or any um, anything that you thought of that you are going to continue to contribute because I mean obviously you've done a lot for that organization um, I have thought of you know as far as this is I have some notes about that but mm -hmm. uh, as far as involvement uh, of course supporting the ACUG as best as I can and whatever is necessary at that time. Um, but, you know, the one thing that I wanted to sort of has as my platform when I become president is uh, providing, especially the working moms, the moms uh, like myself who, uh, you know, in addition to 
taking care of our patients and um, taking care of our families, finding a way to do so and do so effectively. So uh, that will be my platform uh, to aid uh, physician moms, mm -hmm. such as uh, ourselves, to be able to tackle career and family goals. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, if you look at how the ACOG national yearly conference um, adjusted to the current pandemic by going virtual. I think that helped a lot of families, you know, everyone throughout ACUG um, to be able to attend to, you know, give lectures from basically around the world <laughs> live and virtually and continue to get CME credits, although a lot of people could not travel and the actual in-person conference was canceled. Um, mm -hmm. So I know that, you know, a lot of people had a lot to do with that and it really adjusted for the times. So like making sure that medicine can adjust and that, you know, there's a supportive backing from your college as a physician, as a mom, as a parent, you know, as an OBGYN, um, you know, people who understand the struggles that working physicians have, you know, people in clinical practice, um, you know, I think that's really an advantage. Oh, absolutely. I can't say enough about the staff of ACOOG and all they did to make that virtual conference happen. It was amazing. And all within just a few weeks, mm -hmm. uh, the conference started at the end of March and, um, through, you know, several Zoom meetings and um, teleconferences, it was decided just a couple of weeks ahead of time that we wanted to continue. We, want, we did not want to cancel that conference. Uh, other colleges did cancel their conferences. They and sure yes, they did. And, and mm -hmm. you know, part of it is because we are somewhat a, a smaller college compared to ACOG. Exactly. Uh, we were able to do so. Uh, but it, you know, there were some rough spots rough spots in the first day um but by the second day all the kinks were worked out uh they were like clockwork i i was so impressed and so pleased with how that virtual conference went i really was um and like you said you know so many people were able to attend virtually uh and if they couldn't make a certain lecture that was scheduled during the day it was recorded and they could go back and look at it later and that was just uh, just a, a real time saver for me as well. I mean, I had taken off the whole week uh, to attend in San Diego. So I did still have the time off, thank heavens, to, to attend virtually. Um, but, you know, there were times during the day where uh, I was needed um, by my family, you know, maybe an hour or two here or there. And so that allowed me to watch the conferences later uh, in the evening and, it went just so well. I really enjoyed it. And I know, you know, even being here in Alaska with the, you know, three to four hour time zone chain, you know, well, I guess it was central time was right. a virtual conference. Um, you know, I was lecturing at like six o'clock in the morning about substance abuse and pregnancy. Yes. Yes. And that was, you know, I felt for you. <laughs> it, it was kind of funny, but it was great because 
I knew that I could look at other lectures later and um, they did it so quickly and they really adjusted to the times. So I, I was very proud of that in our organization. It was fantastic. Yes. And thank you for your, your 6am sacrifices as well. <laughs> oh, no worries. I also wanted to ask you, um, Dr. Ravazio, you know, what advice would you give younger docs who are coming up and are going to be our future leaders, especially in this time um, of pandemic, you know, um, there's a lot of discouragement. There's a lot of things that people are worried about. Um, people are getting furloughed. They're losing their jobs. They're mm -hmm. taking large cuts in pay. Um, some people have even expressed that during this time, there hasn't been enough PPE um, for them to be safe working. Um, what kind of advice would you give these young future leaders? As we speak, you know, things are getting better. Granted, this is a pandemic and, you know, we've seen, um, in some parts of the country, uh, it's been much worse. Of course, in those areas where the there's uh, population concentrations are, are much greater than they are, say, maybe in Pittsburgh. Of course, New York City, it's, it's, it's the most concentrated area. And so they were hit the hardest. Uh, just terrible situation there. And um, my advice is there, this is a rough time, but we are going to get through this. We are already starting to. I know just here in Pennsylvania, um, in the last couple of days, the governor, uh, through you know her, his uh, phased approach to how we are going to reopen the state, has allowed uh, 22 or 23 counties to go from a red zone to a yellow zone, uh, which you know it, it means we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. It, it certainly is going to take some time, but. If, uh, you know, we just have some patience, we're going to get through this. Um, you know, when when it comes time, when you're talking about furloughs and, and that sort of thing, I one of these things is very difficult to look at ahead of time. Um, I encourage, I encourage uh, physicians when they can to have an emergency uh, savings account. Mm -hmm. I was told to do that years ago to always have an emergency savings account that can cover, you know, your, your mortgage and other expenditures during a time of crisis. And uh, hopefully uh, many of my colleagues have done that and they're using that um, if need be. Uh, I do have some members actually, even of our board of uh, board of trustees at ACUG who have gone through some furlough, whether it be uh, time, you know, at home that they were, they needed to stay at home rather than to be at work and making money. Um, I, I think this is a, an important lesson that we do all need to have an emergency fund available in, in times like this because you just never know what's going to happen. Uh, as far as PPE is concerned, um, something that's something that we still to this point uh, did not have a real issue with relatively, especially compared to New York City. Uh, in Pittsburgh here, we haven't had a problem with PPE, with, with having um, adequate supplies of that. 
And a lot of it just has to do with the, you know, the cases here in Western Pennsylvania. It's just not, you cannot compare it to New York City. Uh, so that was not an issue for us, uh, thank heavens. But I, I know it, it is for other parts of the country. Uh, from what I've been told, that's getting better. Um, supplies are getting better. So uh, it's something that we can consider after this is over in the next several months uh, that we need to have better supplies of in the future uh, so we can fall back on it if need be. We'll, we will learn a lot from this. Or we'll be, there will be a lot of lessons learned uh, so that we can be better prepared in the future. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like the advice that you gave, you know, to financially be prepared for things like this to happen. You know, I, um, I think that in our lifetime, I probably never thought that we would see something like this um, yeah. now planning ahead, especially if we think that there might be an uptick of um, cases coming up in the winter time um, that, you know, we all have an opportunity to plan ahead and sure. even diversify the way that we um, respond to workplace stress, um, the way that we respond to not being able to work. Um, or, you know, having other ways that we can continue to serve our communities and, you know, fellow physicians or um, our patients um, in, in different ways. And so I think, you know, like I had to adjust to doing telemedicine visits, um, yeah. mostly for our gestational diabetic patients and some of our um, opioid maintenance therapy patients, but, um, you know, learning new things is always something that a physician does, you know, lifetime CME yeah. <laughs> and adjusting to those things. <laughs> yes. Telemedicine, boy, that was something I had not done before. And mm-hmm. just like you said, we learned, we had to out of necessity. And now we are all experts at telemedicine. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, you wouldn't think it takes a lot, but you code it correctly. Um, you know, there's uh, more to it than meets the eye, but um, it, I think it's here to stay. Uh, maybe not to the extent that we're using it now, but certainly in the future, it's it's another it's another uh, tool that we have um, in order to you know best approach our jobs. And I also think it's a great way to promote um, preventative care as well. You know, in patients who are not able to come in or, you know, they're trying to stay safe at home, um, that just being able to have that contact that, that they know that they can get in t- touch with their doctors, um, even the pandemic, I think um, that helps a lot too. Absolutely. Yes. And so Dr. Ravazio, I, I just really want to thank you for um, meeting with me today and sharing um, your future goals and how you will be of support to your colleagues within the College of um, the ACOOG, as well as being an inspiration to other women in medicine, and especially people that may be thinking about taking a non-traditional path and, and thinking outside of the box when you know, either applying to medical school or getting through medical school, you know, you don't have to take a traditional routine route. You know, you can have other ways to, you know, achieve your goals. 
Absolutely. And, and the one thing I would like to say too, it's never over. I mean, our, our, it's lifelong learning, mm-hmm. whether it be uh, through our conferences, uh, what we read on our own. Um, I, once my children are in college, I, I'm planning on going back to school and perhaps obtaining a master's in uh, medical education or um, uh, healthcare administration. I, I haven't decided which yet, but it's not awesome. over. Not over. Exactly. You know, we, we can still do more. Um, about a year and a half ago, I decided I, you know, robotics wasn't part of our residency when I was a resident back in the nineties. <laughs> so uh, I had the opportunity to become robotic trained. And so I did that and I, I'm now doing robotic hysterectomies, whereas before I, I didn't, it's never over. And that's the one thing I would say, you know, don't stop learning, keep on going. Um, you just, the goal to make yourself better is a good one, no matter if it's physically, intellectually, uh, educationally, um, you know, personally, or, you know, our relationships with our friends and our family. That's something that we just should have a, a daily um, kind of retroflection and um, see how we can do better, not only for ourselves, but for the people around us and including our patients. So. And I know that you continually do that, and I've seen that throughout your career, and I really do appreciate um, all of the time that you've been able to spend today talking about that and inspiring others. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Thank you. And that wraps up another episode of the Right Brain Rounds podcast with Dr. Karina Muller. If you would like more resources and information about Dr. Karina Muller, please visit ladydocs.com.